Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day with life where Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. There people brought to him a man who was paralyzed, lying on a stretcher. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Then some of the experts in the law said among themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Since Jesus knew their thoughts, he said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your stretcher, and go home. The man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. He said to him, Follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. As Jesus was reclining at the table in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were actually there too eating with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, The healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In fact, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came to him and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast at all? Jesus said to them, Can the attendants of the bridegroom mourn while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, because the patch would tear away from the garment, and the hole would be made even worse. And people do not pour new wine into old wineskins. If they did, the skins would burst, the wine would be spilled, and the skins would be ruined. Instead, they pour new wine into fresh wineskins. By doing that, both are preserved. As he was saying these things to them, there was a ruler who came, bowed down to him, and said, My daughter has just died, but come, place your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and followed him, as did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been suffering from chronic bleeding for twelve years came up from behind and touched the fringe of his garment, for she had been saying to him, If I just touch his garment, I will be healed. When Jesus turned around and saw her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said to them, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but is sleeping but they laughed at him. When the crowd was sent out of the house, Jesus went in, took the girl by the hand, and she was raised. News of this went throughout the entire region. As Jesus left that place, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They told him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done for you. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus warned them emphatically, See to it that no one learns about this. But they went out and spread the word about him throughout the entire region. Just as they were leaving, people brought to him a demon-possessed man who could not talk. 
After the demon was driven out, the mute man spoke. The crowds were amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He drives out demons by the ruler of demons. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were troubled and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest. This is the word of our God. Matthew chapter 9. In this chapter, Matthew continues the listing of different deeds and miracles that Jesus does. And after the opening opening exchange, especially where he has the healing of the paralyzed man, there's a little bit of an interlude where Jesus does some speaking and, and Jesus does some calling. He calls Matthew to follow him. The unmerited grace of his forgiveness is seen most clearly here, where he calls Matthew to be his disciple. Um, and and then Matthew throws a party, and the wholeness and the effectiveness of the forgiveness that Jesus brings is seen as he shares fellowship, as he shares a meal with the most notorious sinners available, um, the most notorious sinners around. But he doesn't leave them as though saying, it's okay, just pats them on their head and says, um, have a good day, I love you. He deals with them effectively, and he addresses them, and he addresses their sin, and he calls them to repentance. And that's what that's what Matthew threw the party for. He threw the party because he had he had come to know this Jesus who had accepted him and who had spoken to him those words of forgiveness, even as Matthew was rejected by, you know, the rest of the society because he worked for the Romans, because of the job that he did. And he wanted his friends and those other people to know that. And it's in the presence of God, um, this, this Son of God here, Jesus Christ the Messiah, who desires mercy even as he bestows mercy. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Uh, verse 13, um, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. That Jesus isn't interested so much in our effort, but in his mercy. And our effort is really God's own work in our own hearts to bring us to repentance, to bring us to sorrow over sin, and to recognition that, yes, we need our Savior, our Savior who must be the one to wash away our sin. Jesus is the the bridegroom. And his disciples can't fast while he's with them because they are celebrating, because the bridegroom is with them. Yes, there will be a time when they will fast. And when Jesus says that, maybe he's talking, he's talking about one of two things. Um, Either he's talking about the sorrow that they will experience at his crucifixion, and then they will fast for a time um, until Easter Sunday evening when when Jesus appears to them. Or Jesus is talking about the general life of the Christian, that the Christian may, um, in good faith, take time when they refrain from food for an extended period of time as a reminder to the body and to the flesh that you are not the one in control, but I am a Christian and man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of our God. There is something to that. If you've ever fasted for a period of time, even if you've done it for health reasons like what they call time-restricted eating, where you try to um, eat all of your meals within within an eight-hour window or a six-hour window, and basically the way it works out is that you skip either breakfast or supper. <laughs> That's kind of how it works out, at least in our schedule. There is something to that. 
And Jesus here isn't just talking about fasting for health reasons, but fasting in a way that is very cognizant and thinking about the Lord and his blessings, that my Lord has given me everything, and he even gives me food on a daily basis, but I don't live my life being pushed along and dragged along by the desires of my body. That's the point, and that's the benefit of fasting, that I don't live my life being pushed and dragged by the desires of my body. Rather, the Christian mind which Jesus has given to me, the the mind which he has sanctified and set apart to serve him in holy baptism, that heart of faith is really what controls this body. And so I want to live in such a way that I that I'm aware, really, that I'm aware of the influences from outside of me so that so that I don't let myself get pulled along into temptation or just driven along as though I'm a leaf on a river, bouncing from idea to idea and being carried along with no thought of how this affects my spiritual life. And that concept of fasting, you could even extend it to, um, you know, modern day, you know, screen the screens in our lives. I think that would be a, a good topic for fasting or for a discussion about fasting to refrain from the use of, of social media for, you know, two, three, four, five days a week, um, to refrain from the use of the TV in the household for a week or two weeks. And it might take, it might take that long to kind of detox from all the stimulus. Um, but Why? not just for the the connection and the blessings of connection that that you might have in the home because it's not time where you're both mutually staring at a screen it's time where you can sit down and be creative and talk together and look at each other in the eye it's more than that and it's not just the constant bombardment by the commercials and by what the children think that they want and think that they need but it's so that you can spend time with them and recognizing that, you know what, um, our Lord has given us his word. And even though it may not be as visually stimulating as Paw Patrol or, or any of the other um, Caillou, any of the other cartoons that are on television today, it may not be as visually stimulating to keep the child sitting there for, you know, half an hour at a time. At the same time, the word of God is more important. That's the sort of fasting that Jesus talks about here. Fasting that looks at our appetites and looks at the stimuli that come into our lives and saying, even though that is a blessing, how does that or how might that distract me from the greater blessings that Jesus has given to me in his word and among the people here in my home? And then Matthew records the rest and finishes out the chapter with the raising of Jairus' daughter, the healing of two men who are blind, and verse 27 here in chapter 9 is the very first time that Jesus is called the son of David in the book of Matthew, um, the healing of the mute man who is demon-possessed and who drives out the demon that, uh, that made him mute. And the Pharisees, even then, just as at the beginning of the chapter, saying, well, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. They commit their blasphemy by denying that God is God, really. Um, so blasphemy, saying that something isn't God that is God, or saying something is God that isn't God. And so finally, Jesus concludes by saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest. 
And that is our prayer too. So take a moment today to reframe your mind, to reset your mind, even if it means refraining from one of the blessings that our Lord has given to us, such as food on a regular basis or television or social media or whatever it may be. 